building on a full and accurate truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the scriptures speak. This is the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. My name is Alexander Ortiz. I'm your host. I'm here with Christian Lopez. Hello, hello. My co-host with the most... What up? This is episode 17, and we've got an interesting one for today. It's um, it's something that we're going to kind of take a conversational approach to this one and kind of visit a lot of territory because the the podcast has been doing fantastic, Christian. We've had a spurt of growth, yeah. and uh, we've had some great interviews. We've had some great topics, and, and you know, the word is spreading, and I thought it'd be a good opportunity to kind of do... Uh, a little checkup from the neck up. I mean, I like it. We do call ourselves the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast, and what does that mean? Now we do have episode one when we did launch this show that talks about the three principles of being a relentlessly biblical person, and I I just highly recommend that you go back and you listen to those. These are not going to be necessarily Christian, you know point for point, uh, principle for principle on those, but they're going to swerve into those three principles because it really does guide a lot of what we do. Right. Okay. So I encourage everyone to go back to episode one if you haven't heard it because, you know, a a relentlessly biblical life, and that's episode one, okay, is something that, you know, that's, that's what's the vision that we had when we kicked this thing off, bro. You know, and, and, we're going to expand on it a little bit, and we're going to expand on it in a way that we are going to look not just at being relentlessly biblical, but what does that mean? It's a life of uncompromising biblical faith, and it's going to be some hard talk. It's going to be some loving talk as well, too, but a talk that needs to happen, Christian, because we do have to check ourselves to make sure that we are living relentlessly biblical. But before we do it's that, true. yep, before we do that, I just want to just encourage everyone a little PSA here that if you haven't visited our relentlesslybiblical.org audio page, do so. Up at the very top, you'll see at the header that there's two links for our Facebook and for our Twitter. Do me a favor, click on those and do follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. At the very least, when we post new episodes, they do get posted into the feed there. So that's definitely a place where you can go and... Um, and know what's happening with the show. Also, uh, within our show notes, if you go into uh, the audio page and you click on any of our episodes, you'll see that there is a link for show notes. And if you're on a platform like Apple, Google, whatever, we're on all of them, you'll see in the show notes that there's a listen and follow link. That's called our listen page. And that's the, the, the page that if you're sharing this with somebody, go ahead and share that page. Click on that listen and follow in the show notes. And what you get from that page is basically a little description of the podcast and all the different places you can listen to it. Pandora, Podchaser, Audible, Apple, Pocket Cast, Spotify, or all over the place. So I just wanted to promote those two things to make sure that our listeners are not just following us, Christian, but they're also sharing the show with others as well, too. Yeah, please, please share. Um, Definitely get this word out we're talking about the word of god here man uh what better thing to share than that you know mm-hmm. all right and the teaching really today is going to be geared towards as a little bit of a disclaimer this is for believers 
if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you, you're not going to really understand or really know exactly what we're talking about. But the message is intended for believers. Others seeking answers may find it meaningful for sure, but it's essential that for you to kind of understand what we're, we're talking about and take to heart what we're going to teach today, it's essential that you acknowledge your sin and surrender your will to God which we know that his will is that you know his son and be born again of the spirit. And we've taught that on this show as well, too. You must be born again. So in this episode, we revisit the three principles of those relentlessly biblical, but we're going to do it in kind of a meandering way because I want it to be a conversation, Christian, a candid one. Yeah. And it can go anywhere, to be honest with you. But I'm going to kick it off here Um with Kurt Blattman. Kurt Blattman is, um, what episode was it? Episode seven, I believe, that Kurt Blattman was. The apologetics one. Right. There's an episode that he was a guest on our show, and I believe it was uh, episode seven, but it's apologetics. He is a, actually, he's out doing um, teaching seminars um, regionally in this part of the country, in Pennsylvania, USA, where we're at, and he started kind of hit the road again, which I'm thrilled about, because uh, when I met him, that's what he was doing. But he, he put a uh, post on his blog. He has a Bible apologetics daily devotional that I'm going to recommend to everybody. And it was one that he posted when we interviewed him last year that it said, basically, what does it mean to be relentlessly biblical? And I thought that was such a great question. And he, he, I'm going to quote him from his blog, and I'll put a link for this in our notes if you guys want to go ahead and subscribe to his um, daily devotional. He says in, in his post, he says, My friends, being relentlessly biblical needs to be a way of life, a way of thinking, and a non-negotiable standard we bring to all of our day-to-day -day decisions. And that's quoting Kurt Blattman. And I remember talking to him and, and reaching out to him and saying, Kurt, that's such a great line. I'm going to use that. And that was months ago. And yeah, I finally I like got that. around. And I finally got around to saying, you know what? Maybe now is the time to kind of attack that topic because it is absolutely true. Being relentlessly biblical is a way of life. It's a way that you think. It's a non-negotiable standard to bring the word of God into all the decisions that we have in our lives. And the main thing that we teach, the very first thing that you need to have is really a high view of Scripture. And we've taught about that, Christian. I mean, a high view of Scripture means that you, as a Christian, okay, it's one thing to do a lot of things in your life to demonstrate that you're a Christian, but how many of us really do believe in the absolute authority and sufficiency of Scripture? Right, 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 right. It's, it's weird to even ask the question because you would think that every Christian believes in the absolute authority of the Word of God and the sufficiency of it. But no, people play around with that. So true. And they kind of do the hokey pokey. They believe this and they believe that. And, and that's something that's absolute. That's something that, that you have to sell out to from the very beginning. And what we mean by a high view of scriptures is that, that we hold it to a very high standard. It is the authority. And we'll get into why exactly it is an authority using Christ as an example. Yeah. Okay. But you can go to our website, coretruth.org, and you can see just right on, on the front page, the home page, one of the things that we state as soon as you get to our website, it says the most important reality in this world is truth. And the most important truth of all is God's truth. It has the power to save men's souls 
from divine judgment and eternal separation from God in hell. God has spoken, and his truth exists in one book, the Bible. What we call the scripture is the word of God. Okay? Amen. That's pretty definite. I mean, th that means that God has spoken, and he's spoken in one place, and that's in scripture. And you'd be surprised how many Christians doubt things in scriptures, that they don't really believe everything in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that they don't believe it out of malicious, malicious intent. I think a lot of it, Christian, is um, just ignorance. Yeah. The, 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 the lack of knowledge or the lack of understanding of the Bible is really what's missing. John MacArthur is, is really big on this. I mean, he, his, he's asked many times, what's the biggest problem in the church? And he says discernment, biblical discernment. So true. There is really a lack of biblical discernment, and I have to agree with him 100%. We see that not only in the congregation, we see that in the leadership. We see that sometimes even in the pulpit, Christian, there's a lack of discernment yeah. in some of this teaching. But I'm, I'm going to ask some honest questions here. I mean, if, if I would have asked 20 people, Christian, what is holiness? If I would have asked 20 people, what does, it, what does sinfulness mean? What does it mean to be repentful? What does it mean, salvation? What does that mean to you? What does love mean to you? You know what I would get? I'd get 20 different answers. It's so true. And even one of the biggest ones is when we talk about it in, I think it's our either third or second episode, what is the gospel? You ask somebody that, and they can't ever give you uh, uh, an answer for that. And, and we understand that. We understand that to be a re reality, that that's where people are at. But Christians, there's no excuse for that. You've got to be ready to prepare. You've got to be prepared and ready to defend your faith. When someone asks you what holiness is, sinfulness, repentfulness, salvation, love, you've got to understand what those things are and be prepared to testify to what those things are. So to truly understand what God says about essential attributes, like those that we're talking about here, Christian, we must define them biblically. We can't define them ourselves using our own definition love no, is a, love no is a way. perfect example of that <laughs> yes yes like i love french fries <laughs> but that's not really biblical love is it no no so no. I, and, and that's a kind of a weird example but you know what i'm saying it's not a flippant like i love this or or even in relationships people say i love yes. you but is it really a biblical love or is it their idea of love we make it up as we go along and and christians should not do that yeah if we want to understand what God says about everything and anything, and God in the Scripture talks about everything, then we must define that in ourselves biblically. We must go to the Word of God and define them biblically. Otherwise, we risk in defining them solely based on our own needs and our own desires, which is similar to what the world approaches. I'm going to take holiness. I'm going to define it myself. Define it myself. I'm going to repent of the things I do in my life, but I'm going to define how I repent. Right. That's not a standard. That's not a biblical standard. It's, it's a worldly standard, and the Christian must never conform to the world. You need to conform to the Word of God. I mean, most of those, most of those questions like, what is holiness? What is sinfulness? What, it, what does it mean to be repentful? Salvation? What is salvation? What is love? I mean, you're right. A lot of people have different ideas of what that means to them. To me, it means this. Instead of asking, what does it mean to God? 
What are what do these things mean to God? I want to know his mind. I want to know what he thinks about these things. And the first place that you find answers to any of these questions is in the gospel. Because the gospel is the start and it is the finish of a Christian life. Beginning and the end. It's the beginning and the end. Yeah. I mean, we have to make a commitment in our lives to live biblically. And it really is like Kurt Blattman says, it's a decision to do things daily. Everything that we do has to be measured against what we know scriptures to 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 want us to, to do, you know, to how we have to live obedient to those things. Because you know what, Christian, you can go into a seminary class yeah. where there are people training to be pastors. You can ask these same questions from a whole classroom full of people. I guarantee you get a whole classroom of different answers. And that yeah, shouldn't be. Yeah. That shouldn't be. Everyone should be on the same page. I know that seems like an impossible thing, but we must endeavor to be that way. Okay. When I talk about love, I want to talk about biblical love. When I talk about being repentful in my life for the way that, that my sin controls me and, and repenting from those sins, I want to do it according to what the biblical standard Amen. is. Amen. Yeah, that's so true. Not caring what the world says, but caring about what God says. What does God have to say about this? That's holding the scriptures at a high view. That's having a high view of the scriptures because it's authoritative in your life. Um, and to, to point to that, to uh, the idea of learning what God thinks about, you know, a certain thing. As you were saying that, I was thinking like, you know, we can learn from other brothers, right? We can learn from each other and, Absolutely. hey, yo, this is what I've been, you know, reading in the scriptures and this, is and that. Or you can listen to someone preach a sermon about a certain topic or something like that. But there's a difference between you actually opening up the Bible and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through the word and be in scripture allowing God's spirit to teach you these things. Oh man, you just hit on a bugaboo of mine. You know how many Bible studies I've been at where someone comes out and says, well, I believe that this chapter and verse says that. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not about what we believe. It's what God is saying right, in the right. scripture. And, and that sounds a little, you know, a way kind of putting the person off. But really it's a standard I've set in, in, in my life when I come to, to the Word of God and I study it. I, I'm pur purposefully in my life when I speak and teach the Scriptures, I never interject myself and say, I believe it says, because it doesn't matter what I believe. Right, right. Or what I think it says. It's incumbent upon me. It's my responsibility. If I believe in this word of God to be what it is, which is the word right from God, then you know what? It's what he says that matters. Amen. Okay. And I know that's a strict standard and I know that can sound harsh. Okay. But if you got it, you're in a Bible study and you got people saying, well, I believe it says this. I think it says that it doesn't matter what you think or what you believe. Let's dig into this and let's see what God says. Yeah. What does the text say? I, I actually wish some preachers would apply that standard to when they teach because there's a lot coming from the pulpit that's you know contrived out of the scripture and they yank right. some verse out right. to make a point for themselves but they're not saying what the scripture says they're saying what they want to say or what the people want to hear what they think the people want to hear even worse even worse but i'm glad that you talked about the mind of god because it is about getting into god's mind if he's speaking to us through his word then we have an opportunity to know his mind. A, a second part of a paragraph that we have on our homepage at coretruth.org 
is a continuance of what I read before. And it's this, only those who understand the Bible can know the truth about salvation and be saved from the consequences of sin and live obedient and productive lives filled with true joy. The scriptures contain all truth about salvation, all truth about sanctification, and understanding about future glorification, right? Because we're saved, we're sanctified, and then we're glorified in Christ. To understand the Bible, and here's the kicker, to understand the Bible is to understand everything from God's perspective. Mm. The one true perspective, and I'll interject that only true perspective that even matters. Yeah, yeah. Okay? God's purposes for humanity throughout history and all eternity can be comprehended to those who understand, to those who understand the meaning of the scriptures. That's on our website. And the reason it's on our ministry website is because we believe that. And it's so true. You want to understand things from a perspective? Choose God's perspective. Don't choose the world's perspective. How does God see this? And to understand how God sees things and to understand his perspective, you got to understand the Bible. Amen. And it's got to be that important to you that you dedicate yourself to understanding it. It's not something, like I said before, you can't just do the hokey pokey with it. I'm going to read it today. I'm not going to read it today. You know, you got to You got to be committed to saying this is the mind of God. I want to understand it. Right, right. I want to see things from his perspective, especially Christian, when you know we can't even trust our own perspective sometimes. Amen. I mean, dude, I, I think about myself when, uh, you know, before God saved me, you know, I was trying to find truth and understanding through, you know, self-help means, you know, books that people write and, you know, tell you how to live a life or, you know, what to do with your life, you know, with this, with that. And I was seeking it in those things and, you know, it brought more anxiety into my life and just more confusion, you know. And it wasn't until the Word of God became... Um, prevalent in my life became a, a standard in my life that had changed my perspective and my mind on anything and everything that I have questions about in life. Now, when I ask the question, like, what do I do in this situation? I think about, okay, what does the Lord say about this? And where do I go for that? You know, I go to the word. I mean, he has everything laid out for us. He has everything that we need to to know for uh, for godliness and holiness, like like uh, Jim Osmond, you know, uh, says, everything we need to know is in Scripture. Everything that God uh, wants us to know about godly living and holiness is in His Word. Right, Jim Osmond's uh, a fellow that we a uh, pastor that we interviewed, and he talks about how God speaks to us. That's one of our episodes as well, too. If you don't know who he is, but you're right, Christian. You're absolutely right. You know, being relentlessly biblical means living according to the teachings and principles of the Bible, making it an uncompromising standard for all day-to-day -day decisions. It involves having a high view of the authority and sufficiency of scriptures. Only by understanding the Bible can we develop that discernment that we talked about, Christian. Only by understanding the Bible can we live that relentlessly biblical life. Right. And, and relentless because it, it's something that you drive to do. This is how I'm going to live. I have made a decision in my life that the Bible is the standard for me. I'm going to live according to God's word. I'm going to measure everything that I do according to his word. That's a decision. 
Yeah. You talk about motivational books, you all of them tell you, you got to make a decision. You want to be successful, it's a decision. It the is. moment you make that decision, guess what? It will happen. But you got to put in the work like any other success in life. You got to put in the work. And the work means being in, in, in the scriptures. So living relentlessly biblical means defining every attribute in your life, Christian, based on biblical principles. Rather than solely looking at our own needs and our own desires, it involves living a life not based on what you want, but a life that looks at what God wants to accomplish in your life. It's not about what we want, and today that's very valid. We, we, we are doing things, and, you know, everyone's worried about what they want. What does God want for your life? Right, right. And how can you know what God wants for your life if you're not in touch with his mind? Like Christian was saying, understanding what, he's, what he wants you to do, what his mind is, understanding his perspective. And God's perspective is very simple. Romans 8.29 talks to this. It says, God wants you in his life to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what Paul talks about in Romans mm. 8.29. It's not hard to figure out what God wants for you. And I know I've mentioned this on this podcast before that Christians struggle. Well, well what is God's will in my life? I, don't, I really don't know what God's will is. How many times have you heard that? I've, he I've heard it a lot. I've heard it a lot. As a leader in the church and when I was pastoring a church, I heard that all the time. What is God's will for my life? Well, that's easy. He wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants you to be like him him. He wants you to be like him. Don't complicate it, folks. It really is that simple. But as simple as that is, guess what? You've got to pick up your Bible and know who he is. That's, that's so true. So let's talk about Jesus, because Jesus is the gold standard, right? Because, well, I mean, when you pick up your Bible, it's about reading about who he is. You want to know the mind that's of right. God, you just know who Jesus is. If you see me, you see the Father. He's, I mean, the Jews killed him, but they knew exactly what he was claiming to be. He was claiming to be God. Yep. There was no misunderstanding among the Jews when Jesus was in ministry, when he was saying, if you see me, you see the Father. I do what the Father tells me to do. They know exactly what he was claiming to be. He claimed that he was in one nature, one, 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 one with the Father. Right, right. And that got them mad, but, but that's who he was. So Jesus is saturated with the scriptures. You just got to read anything in the New Testament and you'll see that whenever he opens up his mouth, it's 9.99% of the time. <laughs> yeah. It's about the scriptures. That's right. That's right. And, you know, you can express it this way, saying that um, not only is he saturated with the scriptures, but I like to put it this way and it gives you a different perspective. Another way of saying it is that Jesus was deeply immersed in the scriptures. Mm. That means that he basically went to the diving board and jumped right in. <laughs> you know, the, the Bible is a pool of water. You just jump in until it covers you. That's right. You know, but I say that he saturated with the scriptures because it was dripping off of him. Every time he turned around, he met he met people in love. He met people when he was expressing the kingdom and expressing his holiness and the desires of the father. He did it all with scripture, even the devil when he got tempted. That's right. That's what right. did he use in his defense? It is written. 
That's right. Jesus was saturated with the scriptures. He was immersed in it. And although we can argue that Jewish society at the time when Jesus was around was deeply immersed in Old Testament scripture, many lacked the Holy Spirit because you cannot discern the word of God unless the spirit of God illuminates the scriptures and opens up your understanding to the word. And let's go to Mark 12, 18 through 27. And here's a perfect example of this to go right to some scriptures. You know, and, and we're going to make the point here that, you know, you can be deeply immersed in a religion. You could be deeply immersed in, in, in scriptures like the Jews were in Old Testament times and totally not get it. That's very true. I mean, they, they yeah, there was some points where they didn't, they didn't understand. They didn't get it. So, so if you go to Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27, I'll read that right from the LSB, Legacy Standard Bible. Verse 18, then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus and began questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up a seed for his brother. There were seven brothers, and the first married a wife and died leaving no seed. And the second one married her and died leaving behind no seed, and the third likewise, and all seven left no seed. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For all seven had married her. Jesus said to them, It is not the reason you are mistaken that you do not, excuse me, is this not the reason? You are mistaken that you do not understand the scriptures, nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, neither they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the fact that the dead are raised, have you not read the book of Moses? In the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You are greatly mistaken. Mm. So there's a lot of errors that Jesus is pointing out here, but it all comes down to what he says in verse 24. Is this not the reason you are mistaken? For you do not understand the scriptures. So true. That's so here so you've true. got a whole society based on religion, and they're immersed in the scriptures, and they weren't getting it. Right. And he put it real simple. It says, I am the God of Abraham, God, uh, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's the God of the living, not the dead. How come they didn't get that when he read it? Because they had lacked an understanding of the scripture. Yeah, and they lacked humility uh, to receive the, the spirit to, you know, understand these things as well. So there's a perfect example where, you know, you have to have... Where Jesus was immersed in his scriptures, and he was immersed in his scriptures, and it showed because when he opened up his mouth and he talked truth, it made sense. When they opened up their mouth to try to get truth from him, right. it showed their ignorance about the scripture. As a matter of fact, that power of God in verse 24, it really expresses a lack of understanding of the scriptures that extended to their ignorance of the miracles that God had performed in the Old Testament. So they were ignorant of what God had already done in the Old Testament. Yep. So if they had possessed the knowledge of, of what God had done in the Old Testament, then they could have believed 
in God's power. That's what Jesus says. You don't you don't understand the power of God. The power of God is that he can raise the dead. So they've got the Old Testament. They've got Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And and between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they got this big thing going on. Like, yep. does a resurrection a resurrection even exist? And there it is, plain for them to see. The power of God was expressed in the Old Testament. He can raise the dead. And, of course, Jesus went on to do that as well, too. That's right. And, and no more plainly than when he resurrected Lazarus just before yeah, going to the that's, cross. That's crazy. And they're having these uh, questions about resurrection, and Jesus is like, I'll resurrect Lazarus. So just claiming that you know of the scriptures or you grew up with the scriptures or it's it's a part of your life do you understand them right do you understand them to the point where jesus understands them where he's saturated with the scriptures i mean he's immersed himself in it that's why he knows the scriptures as much as he does right right and he told them you do your you error and you make mistakes because you don't understand you know, Jesus could have very answer, very easily answered him and said, you know what? You need to go back and read. Yeah. <laughs> but because his, that's your problem. Right, right. But in his kindness and his grace, he explains it right there and then. Because you're right. He could have just been like, just go read it. Well, I mean, if you look at the parables, Christian, and, and in Matthew, there's a very big distinction that when he sat by the, the Sea of Galilee at one point and then the... Matthew states in Scripture that he evoked, spoke very plainly to the people about the kingdom of God and, and, and what he was accomplishing in his ministry. And he crossed the threshold at some point where he just no longer spoke to them clearly. Yeah, and then yeah. from that point forward, spoke in parables. So, I mean, you know, God can get frustrated up to a point where I'm speaking plainly to you. Make, trying to make you understand what I'm saying, and you're not getting it. Now I'm not going to speak plainly to you anymore. Parables, a lot of people think that that's just a way to make things more understandable. It's really not. It's really God making it harder for those who are being hard-hearted yes. and accepting the truth right. and making it even more difficult for them because, you know, God is, is going to say at some point, you know what, now you don't want to understand, now you're not even going to understand even less because I'm going to put it into a parable and you're not going to be able to figure it out. And we saw that because even the apostles were like, what did that mean? Yeah, and they have him explain. Yep, yep. Can you explain what did that mean? Yeah, but look at the eagerness of the apostles. Jesus would explain something in a parable and in their humbled minds, they were like, Lord, what does this even mean? Whereas... Other people probably brushed it off. They're like, what is this guy even saying? Instead of seeking out what he meant by those things. So, so Jesus shows up on the scene. This is the Messiah, the promised Messiah from Old Testament Scripture. And they totally missed that because they didn't understand the Scripture. And here's the person, God incarnate, who understands the Scripture better than anyone else That's because right. it's his word. That's right. And they're not seeing that. They're not seeing that. We run across that kind of blindness every day when we share the gospel with people and they just will not see. And it's sin that blinds everybody. It's sin that blinds everybody. They don't want to let go and let God. They don't want to let go of what they have because they know that giving up sin means giving up those guilty pleasures. That's right. So what does Jesus really teach about the Bible? Well, I've got here in my notes that on 92 occasions... Jesus and his apostles supported their position by saying, it is written. You kind of swerved into that before mm. when he was talking to the devil. It is written or something to that equivalent. Ninety 
two occasions in the New Testament where either Jesus or the apostles say it is written. They quote the Old Testament. And why is that? Because Jesus and the apostles considered the Old Testament scriptures to be the written word of God and thus the ultimate authority for life. Mm. Okay? But be careful here because anyone who denies the Bible as the authority, the authoritative, got a little tongue twisted there, <laughs> as the authoritative word of God, guess what? They stand in clear opposition of everything that God has declared. So if you're a person out there and you're saying, I don't believe that Bible, we've heard that. Yes. And folks, I know you listening to us, you've heard that too. When you've tried to share your love for the scripture with somebody and they say, well, I don't believe that book that's written by men or whatever the lame reason yeah. is. Those people need to be careful when they put those words into their mouth and they say it to you because denying the authority of the Bible is in clear opposition to what everything that God has declared. Yeah. If the Bible is truth, the only truth that matters, and God has declared that truth in Scripture, to say I don't believe it is to call God what? A liar. That's right. First John chapter 1. Let's go there. First John, First John chapter 1. Verses 5 through 10. And this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Mm. And I know that our listeners understand this, Christian, because we've heard people express that. I don't believe the Bible. But how about those people who claim to be believers? You got to exercise caution here, too, because there are many that claim to have the Bible as, a, as, as a, to have a high view of scriptures. And it's an authority in their life. But they're selective. Yeah. About only believing certain parts of the Bible. I mean, we talked about that with Dr. Mortensen and when we talked about Genesis. Do you believe the ark? Do you believe the flood? How about Jonah and the whale that he got swallowed up by a fish? Do you believe that? Some Christians don't. Yeah, they just believe, oh, that's just stories, you know. But even Christ himself said, just like Jonah was in the he belly of the whale three right. days. That's right. The Son of Man must be lifted up, talking about his crucifixion. If Jesus Christ is claiming that to be true, and you're not believing it, be careful. Because what we just read in 1 John, for those who say, I have no sin, call God a liar, there are Christians out there that hold only parts of the Bible as true. That's right. And selectively believe on only the parts that they can understand. Now, I know that some of that is because there's a lack of understanding in the Scripture, and there's some confusion about the teachings and the principles of the Bible, but this is why we have to be relentless and, 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 and be in our Bible and hold it to such a high regard that when we say Christian, when I say to myself, man, I don't understand this, it's not an excuse not to believe it. It's not yep. an excuse to say, 
God doesn't know what he's talking about here. Because if you remember, the sin in the garden was, did God really say that? Right. It was always a question, questioning and a, and a twisting of what God has actually said. Doubting anything in Scripture and doubting anything that God has declared and questioning that in your heart is going back to that original sin. Did he really say that you were going to die? Right, right, right. The devil is very good at that. Be careful. And when I say be careful, not just those who deny outwardly that the Bible is false. Right, right. Okay, we need to reach those people. But if you're a Christian and you're claiming to be a Christian and the Bible is by your own declaration and authority in your life, but you only believe parts of it, you got some studying to do. Well, that, that's, that's, you know, that there's a simple answer to that, especially for those who believe and believe only parts of Scripture. And you, you could easily uh, defeat that with Second uh, Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God breathed. Amen. All of it. Not it doesn't say selected ones. It says all scripture is God breathed. So anything written in scripture is God breathed. And if it was God breathed, then that means it's true. Amen. Amen. So in light of the teaching that we see that's so obvious in the New Testament when we study the person of Christ which exists nowhere else in any religion. There is, we say this in this podcast all the time, there is nothing like Jesus. That's right. No mind of man or demon can conceive of someone like him. And if we study him and truly seek him out in the scriptures and we see who he is and how he teaches, there's no question in our mind that he considered the entire Old Testament to be inerrant, the written word of God. He considered it to be the word of God. He said he came to fulfill the entire Jewish Old Testament Bible. Mm. Remember, that's the only Bible Jesus had at the time was, was the Old Testament. Matthew 5.17 speaks to that when he referred to the law and the prophets. Okay, look at the road to Emmaus when he comes across those yes, disciples. Yes, And they're, they're basically kicking rocks and going home because Jesus died and we thought he was the one. He goes, no, guys, you search your scriptures. <laughs> you, search your, you have to search your scriptures. And he goes with them and he does the best Bible study that I wish I was there to attend. Yes, yes. And he goes from the beginning of the, of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament and shows them right there on the road to Emmaus how these things had to come to pass. So, so what were they lacking, those disciples in the road to Emmaus? An understanding of the scriptures. And a lack of understanding from the scriptures comes from a lack of faith in it, because if you don't understand it, guess what? You seek out the answer. Jesus just showed up at the road of Emmaus. That's right. That's in Luke 24, one of my favorite pieces of scripture, actually. Because Jesus is an expositor and he's going through the scripture and saying, this is where I was. And everything to show them how these things had to happen. Something that they should have understood. But they didn't. And he reprimanded them for not knowing he this. He did. He did. So when we get stuck and we're like, we don't understand this. I don't know if I can believe this. You know what, people? It's your responsibility to dig in and figure it out. Jesus ain't going to show up on your road and go through the scripture and open up your understanding and then disappear right. <laughs> when you break some bread with him. Right. It's your responsibility to have some quiet time with him and say, Lord, open up the scriptures to me. I don't understand. Please help me dig into this. I want to know what you're saying here. Man, I am I'm, I'm so glad you kind of like opened up the 
the um, Matthew 5, 17, he came to fulfill the entire Jewish Old Testament. And also speaking of the, um, the road to Emmaus, uh, those are two things that came to mind as far as like reinforcing a high view of, of scripture. Because the question that I had was, how, how did Jesus view the scriptures? I mean, if you know who Jesus is, the first thing you're going to ask is, okay, well, the, the most famous man, and not just man, but God, in entire history that is still being talked about is Jesus Christ. And uh, we were talking about this earlier before we started the podcast was Matthew 5, Matthew 5 through 7. Um, and it's, it's, it's so interesting because Jesus spoke with authority. And, and you know, when Jesus was explaining the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which he was going through the law, he doesn't just recite the law to the Jews. Um, and, 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 you know, some, he doesn't recite them uh, to them. They, they already know and understood the Old Testament law right mm -hmm. what yep. he was doing was he was reinforcing what was already there and setting the standard even higher and we were talking about this before the podcast we were talking about simply hating a brother is murder simply looking with lust is adultery oh no jesus showed up and put the law at a whole different level yeah it's it's it, it's crazy even down to um you know he reinforces marriage and how jews were treating divorce as if it were some like written notice that you just hand to your wife and say, okay, I'm divorcing you. Uh, he goes down to uh, an oath. Let your, the simple answer just be yes and no. Why would you make an oath and swear on your head when you don't even know the number uh, 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 of hairs on your head? Like yeah. it's just, it, he's taking all these and, and the list goes on and on. And ultimately what, I, ultimately what I love about Jesus is that he reinforces the way into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And you see that in, in the beginning of, of, of chapter five where, you know, uh, he, he talks about the spiritual condition in which, you know, we are to come through if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is the word. That's why he leaked out script. He is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word Amen. was God. He, he doesn't just, Jesus doesn't just come to only just fulfill the law. He says that, but he doesn't just come to only fulfill that. He doesn't even only come to just live a sinless life, but Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And you swerved into it earlier. You said that he is God incarnate. He's God incarnate in the flesh, sacrificing himself as the ultimate lamb to pay the debt that we could not owe, no matter how hard we try to keep the law. And, you know, episode 16, I think the the, uh, the last episode that we just did about the goodness of God is that, you know, how uh, God's law is as perfect as he is. Amen. Right? So the standard of his law is that he can't be anything less than his, than, than the, than his righteous quality. So God can't be anything less than that. And guess what? The only human who is capable of and has matched that exact quality perfectly is who? Jesus. Amen. And if Jesus is the only person who ever lived to do exactly that, then that makes him God. That's why I asked the question, how does Jesus view the scripture? Because if he's God and every time he spoke, it was always pointing to the, to the scripture. Like, Go look at John 5. John 5, verses 39 to 40, he says, you to, tells the Jews, you search the scriptures because you think that in them mm. you have eternal life. It is these that bear witness about me. 
and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Wow. So here's the word itself. That's right. <laughs> that they're claiming to know and they're seeking eternal life in those scriptures. And he's saying, here's eternal life standing right before you because those that the Old Testament testified about me. But then yet you're not willing to come to me so that you can have that life. You're right, looking for that right. life, but then I'm giving it to you and you don't want it. That's right. That's right. What an interesting situation. But there is an authoritative verse right there. I mean, he says it, and there's no mistake about it. Those those scriptures talk about me. He said it to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. What I love, you know, I was thinking about that, you know, as we were preparing for this, and I was thinking about the road to Emmaus and how Jesus literally meets up with them, right? They're walking to uh, towards Jerusalem, right? And they don't the know road. who he is, yeah. They yeah. have no clue who he is. And if you read prior to what Jesus says... Well, in fact, they told him, <laughs> stranger, don't you know what happened? Yes, yes, yes. But what I love about Jesus is that he comes alongside them. He doesn't even reveal who he is. Because Jesus could have easily been like, you know... Hey, it's me. I'm right here, guys. All the things that the, the women told you, the 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 that bore witness to the tomb, because they were talking about. We got word that you know uh, these some of our uh, the women from our group w went to the tomb and it was empty. And here it is, the third day. Yeah. And they're trying to figure yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so what I love about Jesus is that Jesus could have easily been like, guys, the the reason the tomb's empty is because I'm right here with you, but he doesn't do that. What he does is is he points them back. Jesus being the word, being God incarnate, what does he do? He points them back to the word. That means that Jesus Christ is an expositor. This is what a lot of pastors need to do, point people back to the scripture, right? This is what he's doing. He's What you're basically saying is he's not giving them the answers right away. He's saying, look, it's right here in the scriptures. Right, but, he, but, but essentially he does give them answers to what they're what they should really be direct redirected to you know what i'm saying like yeah. it, it was not as easy as like okay i'm right here i mean you, you're right he does he does throw a he calls them you foolish people that's what he says <laughs> you foolish people that's one word for them right and he says you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures wasn't it clearly predicted that messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory and then, like you said before, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I mean, like, dude, if that's not establishing a high view of scripture coming from God incarnate himself, I mean, it's essential. This, the scripture is essential. Why? Because it points us to who? Jesus. Yeah. All the, of it. The scriptures are so essential, and it's so essential that we understand it. And Jesus and his loving, loving wisdom, like you said, I mean, he doesn't come out and give them the answers. He said, look, boys, let's open up the word of right. God and let's go yes. through this. And let's go and understand just exactly why these things happen and how they had to happen. You know, and, and really it serves as an example for us on how we're supposed to teach. You know, that's that scripture there. Before we go to our break, I'll just share this with you. That scripture right there, the road to amaze, why it's yeah. so important to me in my life and in ministry. Because I came to a crossroads where I was serving with people in leadership and churches that 
the word of God was not an authority. And mm. I remember reading the road to Emmaus. I'm saying, wait a second. If Jesus paused and he picked up the Bible and he said, look, guys, this is what this meant. And this is how it needed to happen and went through the whole testament if he can point to scripture we can do the same thing that's too. right and we and ought it, to and it really showed me that if i was going to commit to be a bible teacher i had to be an expositor mm -hmm. because that's what jesus was yeah. he exposited the scriptures he just didn't say look this is what it said because i told you he showed them look it's here in the scripture and how many teachers so-called teachers of the scriptures don't do that and they use other means and other tools to entice people, tickle their ears, and, and get them interested in the Word of God. Just exposit it. Yeah. Just teach it. And that's proof right there. The road to Emmaus to me has always been like one of those critical points in my life where it just opened up my whole understanding and said, Alex, you need to be an expository preacher because that's what Jesus was. Amen. He exposited the scripture, not picking and choosing in the Bible, trying to make a point or try to motivate. He went through it and he said this, 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 and that had to happen. And if Jesus trusted it that much, we should be trusting in it in that way. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. When we teach the scriptures, are we trusting it? We don't have to fully understand it. We should endeavor, and this is what we're teaching here. If you have a high view of scripture, you endeavor to understand all of it. And yeah. that's a lifetime pursuit. Right. That you will never accomplish fully because understanding the mind of God, who can understand the mind of God? But Jesus calls us to be perfect like he is perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't try. We have to. And we do that through the word of God. Let's take a quick break and then we're going to pick up where we left off and get into some real interesting transformation and how the word of God how Jesus is saturated with the scriptures and how you can be saturated with the scriptures as well. We'll be right back, folks. We are privileged and excited that you joined us today. Please remember to visit our episode notes. They contain links to scripture, any information we referenced during the show, and a link to join our mailing list to receive the latest show news and updates. If you want to send us your questions, provide feedback, or submit an idea for a future episode, we want to hear from you. Just use the Join the Conversation link provided to contact us. Want to get to know us better? Then we encourage you to use the Core Truth Media link provided in our episode notes to visit our coretruthmedia.org homepage. You can connect with us via social networks from that page and explore the diverse range of podcasts and high-quality content our ministry offers to those seeking to deepen their understanding of the Bible and grow in their faith. Finally, we invite you to help us communicate God's truth throughout the globe. Anyone can listen to this show for free everywhere podcasts are available. Click the listen and follow link in our episode notes and share it with your friends and family. You'll be glad you did. We appreciate your support. Now let's get back to our show. Welcome back, folks. This is an exciting topic. And, you know, speaking about Jesus is enough to, to get me excited and talk about him for three hours. I wish we had a three-hour podcast. But I think Why we'd not? lose most people. <laughs> I probably would. <laughs> but you know what? We spoke enough about Jesus and how he considers the, the, the Word of God and authority. We, if he, that's what he felt and that's what he was teaching, then we should feel the same. Amen. We should endeavor also to have that kind of confidence in the Word of God. But, you know, nothing takes place, Christian, without a transformed life. And there's a lot to say for transformation because nothing in your life is going to change if nothing changes. And the, and the element to change a life for a Christian is the Word of God. 
gospel. The word of God is living and active. I'm reading from Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. You cannot approach the word of God and have it not change you. A two-edged sword will pierce through your soul and spirits. It will pierce through both joints and marrow. That means that in order to change you and to renew your mind, guess what? Some stuff has to be scraped off, cut through. It's going to hurt. Change is going to hurt. I always used to say when we were, I was in business, if I wanted to take my business when I'm well in my own business, if you want to take business to the next level, you got to stretch. And when you stretch, guess what? It hurts. You got to grow. Yeah. And to grow, you got to stretch. And, and, and it comes with the hurt that comes with it. The word of God promises here in Hebrew that it's going to cut both joints and marrows. And it has the power to judge your thoughts. And your intentions. So if the word of God has the power to judge your thoughts and intentions, when you're unsure of yourself, where do you go? The Bible. You go to the word of God because you can trust it, but you're not going to trust it if it's not an authority in your life. So transformation speaks to an idea of growth and change, of becoming something new and better than what we were before. Nothing can replace transformation when it comes to our spiritual lives. It is a process by which we become more like Christ through the transformation that we can live a life obedient to God. Now, let's talk about obedience for a little bit because that's a big part of it. You've got to be obedient to the word, to, to God, and you're not going to be obedient to God if you don't love his word. If you don't love him, you have no reason to be obedient. To right. Him. My wife and I went through a very rough, rough patch in life, and, and we both had to go to our pastor, and our pastor sat us both down and said, hey, listen, guys, you're not promised to be happy. There's no promise in the Bible that you're going to be happy. But the one thing that God does ask of you is that you be obedient. So get back to what you were doing and get your lives together. Because happiness sometimes ain't part of the picture. But obedience, that's a full-time job. Wow. And I just think of Peter in John 21. Remember when Peter went back to fishing? (laughs) We were talking about that during the break. I mean, look at Peter, right? Peter goes back. After the resurrection, and, and, and he goes back with his disciples. Now, this is important because G- Peter was the leader. Right. And, and what's, what, what's the thing that Jesus told them when, when he plucked these disciples out of obscurity? He's told them, you're going to be fishers of men. Fishers of men. So what does Peter do? He goes back. He takes the boys back to fishing. He takes the people who are supposed to be fishers of men to go fish, fish instead. Yeah, he was doing exactly the opposite of what the Lord told him to do. So he appears at the at the uh, Sea of Galilee, and we all know this Peter's restoration and his commission, right? This is in John 21. Let me go to verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter grieved because he had said it to him a third time, do you love me? 
And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Ten my sheep. Now I look at that, okay, and Peter, you know, he's an amazing character in the Bible. We know that he wound up turning around, becoming faithful. But I mean, this is Jesus telling him, what are you doing, man? What are you doing going back to fishing? You're not going to get transformed. I mean, this uh, God, Jesus invested three years into these men's life, and what does Peter do? Takes them back fishing. Yeah. No, you were called to be obedient. That's why three times he got hit with this across the head. What are you doing, Peter? Tend my sheep. What are you doing, man? Feed my sheep. Yeah. What are you doing going back to fishing and taking all these guys with you? Because they followed him. Yeah. He called them to obedience. And obedience only happens through a transformation that is only found in the word of God. You That's think right. maybe in that period of time, Peter dropped his Bible and said, I guess it's over like the guys from the road to Emmaus. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to start kicking rocks, go down a road because this is over, man. We thought he was the dude that was going to yeah. come and change everything. <laughs> I'm going back home fishing. The other guys were going back home to who knows Jerusalem. where to do what. They were going towards Jerusalem. No, they were coming from Jerusalem to Emmaus. But the idea there is that, you know, you don't take your ball and go home, man. No, you play ball, man. That's what Jesus called you to do. It's time to get busy, and it's time to do what he called you to do. So the question I have before we even get into the next topic is, if we look, if we honestly look at our lives, Christian, how faithful are we to the calling God has for us? Because he's not going to show up at your Sea of Galilee, Jesus, and cook a few fish on the shore there and give you breakfast and say, what are you doing, man? What are you doing going back to playing golf yeah. <laughs> or going back to doing this or going back to doing that? Yeah. Okay? That's up to us, okay? Honestly, people, look back in your lives. How faithful have you been to his calling? Are you what God made you to be? Or are you having the same conflict that Peter is having? Having? Going back to what he was doing before. Right. After all that time and all that effort, all that love that was invested in, and the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. A high price, and we've talked about that high price. God didn't give us his second best. He gave us no. his very best. He gave us his only begotten son. And here's Peter going back to fish. What are you doing in your life that you're right. doing that you're going back to fishing? Or are you what God made you to be? I said this is going to be a checkup from the neck up. It sure is. All right? So it's not just about being saved. It's about how God is raising us as a father. I mean, if we're saved and, and we've been born again, like we see in John 3 when he talks to Nicodemus and says, you must be born again. It's not about just being saved. It's about being raised by your father, by the loving father. The same way that Jesus groomed his disciples, our Father in heaven is grooming us through his Spirit. That's right. It's essential to understand how we're saved and God and how God has been present in our life. That's important. How he's guiding us and shaping us into the people we are today. He's a loving Father after all. God has watched over you and has helped you grow into the person that you're meant to be. If you're obedient to that. Yeah. So people, take an honest look at your life and how obedient are you? Don't do a Peter. Don't do a Peter and no go back to fishing. Whatever it is that God has chosen and plucked you out of your life to be, be that. 
It's essential that you understand that it's not just about being saved. Okay, now I'm saved. I'm good. No, no. There's something that God has for you. You have to reflect on your journey and how God has been with you every step of the way. And although you may be an individual and God uses your gifts as an individual and he embraces those things and, and you can use those things, remember you were made for a unique purpose. One that is singular in its truth, because the message of eternal life is Christ is like no other message in the world. And the truth that we can share and the evidence and the impact that that can have on the on the world and on other lives. I mean, we can't ignore that. There's nothing conceived by by man that comes close to what what. God, Christ has accomplished and then he turns around and wants us to accomplish in his name. Right. I mean, we can talk about the Great Commission, but are you contributing to that command? Right. Or did you just say, okay, now I'm saved? Because the commandment before he went to heaven was, is go out and share the gospel. Go and spread the good news to all the corners of the earth, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are you doing that? Right, right. Are you being true to your calling? Yeah, and, you know, Scripture talks about the Word being a sword. And I know that in my life, sometimes, you know, I can use my fist, and I should be using the sword, you know. I want to use my own weapon when God has given us a weapon to fight. And, you know, if, if, if you're a believer, you know that sin is a, is a struggle with day in, day out. You don't just become a Christian and everything's perfect and hunky-dory. If anything, you feel more uh, of the weight of that sin in your life. And so it draws you, it drives you to God. It drives you to the Word of God to seek guidance and counsel from it because, you know, the things in life is not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And for a spiritual battle, you need the spiritual Word. You need the Word of God. You need God's spirit to fight these things and you need to be focused on that and you know that's something that i'm also preaching to myself because you know how easy it is for me to forget that sometimes you know um right but at the end of the day like there's danger ahead there's an enemy that does not want you to have a relationship with jesus There's an enemy who wants to distort your view of the Word of God. There's an enemy who wants to distort your view of who Christ is in your life. There's an enemy who even wants to distort the view. Did God really say there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Did he? Is that true? Do you think that's that's going to happen? Because you messed up today. You. The devil will play with that. He will play with that. Yeah. And, and, and how do we combat that? We can't combat that with our own wisdom. We can only combat that with the truth of God's word. And if you only believe that God's word is partially true, then you're in trouble. Because when those thoughts come in, what part are you going to believe? Well, one of the principles of being relentlessly biblical is you got to read the word. You got to be in it. You got to be in it or you'll be like Peter. Go back to what you were doing before. Yeah. And that's where transformation ain't going to happen. Right. I mean, think about it. Peter went from being potentially something amazing when Jesus resurrected and, and all this happened. And instead of going forward and being obedient to what God called him to do, he was OK going back to what he was. Don't go back to what you were before Christ. Right. Be what you can be in Christ. 
And you know what? It's a privilege. It's a privilege to grow in Christ, to be transformed and conformed to the image of his son. People will see that. People will see the change in you. And man, nothing is going to pump you up more than someone coming to you and saying, man, I've seen the change in your life. I want some of that. Yeah, yeah. And that's really the great sin of what Peter was doing here, taking all his boys back to fishing. Come on, man. There's something better for you out there, and God has it right in front of you. You've got to be obedient to that, but you've got to be in the Word, and you've got to be committed to the transformation to be that person that God wants you to be. Amen. Let's talk about relationships, because that's a big part of it. Because, I mean, we, we're not going to share the gospel if we don't have relationships with people, Christian. Right. You know, a, a crucial part of our lives is relationships that we have with each other. So as Christians, we're commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to go out into the world and preach the gospel, right? Mark 16, um, chapter 16, 15 says that. You know, this is not a suggestion. Jesus didn't stand and say, you know, I, I think you guys should. <laughs> no, he said, go out. That's so true. Into the world and preach the gospel. I mean, he could have done it himself and done it more effectively than us. Of course. He's including us in that privilege. He's giving us the the privilege of doing that. The privilege, man. This is why he had to ask Peter three times, what are you doing, dude? Yeah. Fishing? Come on. You I gave got... you a higher calling than Exactly. Fishing. Well said. That's exactly what he was rejecting when he went back fishing. Yeah. You know, Jesus is... It's a privilege to share them. It really is. And, and you know, being a Christian and sharing that, it's a big part of that. You know, in Luke 4, Jesus came to Nazareth, right? This is at the beginning of his ministry. And when he came to Nazareth, Luke 4, verses 16 through 21. And he came to Nazareth when he had been brought up. And as, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue. This is when he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up and read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened up the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim these, proclaim release to the captives and recovery, to the sight, re- recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who were oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Then he closed the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now that, that those verses in Luke are pretty, pretty profound because he basically said the Messiah is here. This scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. So as a believer, we have a unique role in sharing that message with the world. We're called to live a life that reflects the love and grace and of Jesus Christ and to share that message to all those that are around you. I mean, he was anointed to preach the gospel. Guess what? So are we. You can, re- you can recover sight to the blind. You may not put your hands and put mud on someone's eyes and they'll see for the first time in their life, but right, you can right. take them out of darkness into the light. People who were oppressed by drugs, oppressed by the sin in their life, we can free them from that. Yeah. With the help of the Holy Spirit. It's actually God doing those things through us. What a unique, unique opportunity. So your unique gifts and talents can be used to bring this message of life in a way that is truly impacting and really meaningful to the people around you. Yeah. And it can redirect their thinking. I had a conversation with 
a uh, someone, a friend of mine, and um, you know he's younger and he's chasing, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, a life of okay, I want to do this so I can make money so that I can, you know, have a house and have a wife, have kids. His goal was to reach that that potential, you know, and he's a young kid, uh, a really young kid in his tw early 20s. And he has good ambitions, uh, really good ambitions, right? And, um, you know, one day, I, you know, he's telling me all these things and he's asking me questions about, you know, certain things. And I said, you know what? You're free this day. Come, come over. Let's talk. And I don't think he knew what we were going to talk about. But in my heart, I was like, this guy needs to hear the gospel. He needs to hear about Christ. And I sat him down and I talked to him and I and I listened to all his ambitions. And they were good things for a young 20-year-old to think this way. That's cool. Like, yeah, it's more cool. power to him. Right. Mm -hmm. But then I asked him this question and I brought it right to the scripture. And I allowed God's word to penetrate his heart. I said, what does it profit you if you were to gain all these things that you're ambitious about? But lose your very soul. Yeah, that's what. What will that profit you? Would you gain anything from that? I mean, because when you when you leave this earth, when you leave this this life, you have you have nothing. It doesn't come with you. Your the 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 life that you so called built doesn't come with you. Then what's left? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about your life after this? And I shared the gospel with him. And this. This guy was so quiet, like you could hear a pin drop. And he was so just zoned in at, as to what God's word said about the life after death, about the kingdom of heaven, about Christ, about God and who he is. And at the end, he said, you know, I really appreciate you telling me that. Because here he's thinking, you know, a business owner just like him trying to be a business owner as well. Um, he's a go-getter. He's, he's going go after right, life. Right, and he I probably didn't even that. stop to think about that. Right, and he didn't stop to think about that. And I said, whoa, 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 put a hole on that. Have you thought about this? Yeah. And, and you have to redirect people to that. You have to. You have to. You know, and I'm glad that you went there because that was a th another point that I wanted to make. We have to prioritize biblical principles in our relationships. Right. It can't be just having friends and not sharing the gospel. It can't be not having friends and not sharing who we are. Okay? If we're going to leave fishing and go do what Christ called us to do, we got to meet people where they're at with that task in our hands yeah, yeah. and with that passion in our hearts. They got to know what we're all about. Okay, if we look at Exodus 20, we were talking about this earlier. The, the Ten Commandments are interesting because out of those Ten Commandments, you know, the first five is about your relationship with God. Right, right. And then the remaining five are about the relationships of others. So relationships are everything. Yeah, that's true. How you conduct yourself with God is the first half, and then the second half is how we treat others. Go ahead and read it in Exodus 20. Exodus 20. It's all about relationship. And it's unfortunate, and it's an unfortunate reality that a lot of people who, who may know the Scripture, uh, who, are who may be ignorant to the Scriptures, okay, have been commissioned to share this gospel, but they don't. And like, as we've been saying, it's an incredible privilege. Many do, do not share the gospel. They don't share the gospel message. And that leads me to conclude, Christian, that it's not just because they're scared. Mm. 
okay? I think some of it is because they're ignorant of the scriptures. Mm. They're not saturated like we were saying before. Like They're not like Christ where it's just pouring out of them. Yeah. If you are in your word and you know your word and you're in it every day and you're reading it, you are in love with what God has to say and you seek him out, you will share. Because not only will it, like we talked about, transform your life, it'll pour into others. And that's important because being fearful is unexcusable. The scriptures speak to that. Paul talks about that. He doesn't fear sharing the gospel and neither should we. But if ignorance of the scriptures is preventing you from getting there, then you need to prioritize the scriptures in your life and you need to prioritize prioritize biblical principles when you share those relationships with others. Because what is there to talk about? I raised my kids and and they listen to this podcast. They'll know and they'll be shaking their head absolutely when (laughs) I say this. Okay, people talk about three things. They talk about others or things. Okay, and that's what most people talk about. The first is they talk about other people or they talk about things. I wanted my kids when I raised them, I want you to be talking about that third thing, which is vision. Mm-hmm. What's your dream in life? What are you going to accomplish? What, where is God taking you in life? That's the conversation you need to have. Everybody talks about other people and, uh, and the things that they have. No, I want you engaged with people talking about what matters. Yeah, amen. That's why, and I've espoused that in this podcast numerous times. I, I get small talk I'm not good at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that for a minute or two, then I'm, I'm digging in. I agree. I'm moving past people and things, and I'm like, okay, let's talk about some meat here because yeah. I can't survive without it. That's that's what I'm called to do. And if I'm making the Bible a priority in my relationships, then I got to go to that. That's right. I mean, you and I were, were at a funeral yesterday for a family member that passed away, and we met some young kids. They're friends of yours. Yeah. I met him and got to talk to him for the first time. I mean, how long did it take me to get into talking about God and talking about scriptures and talking? Like two seconds. Yeah, (laughs) that's it, baby. Right away. You know, it's so in, you know, conversations like that with other people who are believers, it's so easy to kind of swerve into those things. But one thing that I've I've truly come to try and understand is, you know, the gospel obviously is very important. I love that. People who talk about people, people who talk about things, and people who talk about dreams or visions, right? But the first two are are kind of important a little bit. Why? Because it kind of, you look at Jesus, right? And when he's at the woman at the well, talk about water. They're talking about water, things that are that are that that are common to man, right? Essential, yeah. essential, right? Water, food, whatever the case is. But then he he did that, and he always drawed it. What after that? He drew it right to use that to get into spiritual things. And those things are important because talking with the, the, the young man that I was talking to the other day was that. It was like, let's talk about those things. Let's talk about people and use that as a catalyst to, to, to swerve into God. But you got to do that purposefully. Yeah, you do. You and do. being relentlessly biblical, you get to that right away. Right. As right, quick as possible. Right. Uh, within reason. I mean, you're not going to show up and, you know, first thing out of your mouth is going to be something that's going mean, to push people back. I mean, sometimes some you people need that to. hit over the head. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. You kind of have to sometimes. You're like, hey. And, you know, there's this uh, there's this artist um, uh, that we, we, we just uh, we listen to, my wife and I, um, uh, and he says, you know, when you want to share something with God, with with somebody about God, do it scared, do it scared. And I love that because it's true. Sometimes you can be fearful of going up to the person and just 
randomly do it about anyway that, do it scared i love that yeah do it anyway well, i mean you know it's people endeavor to do that i mean get into your small talk and meet people but get into the meat of things and, and, and an easy way to do that i'll give you a quick little pro tip here it's don't talk about yourself talk about them Mm. Ask people like, okay, well, you know, uh, where do you work? What do you do? You know, how many kids do you have? And let them people, people love to talk about themselves. And before you know it, you're in a deep conversation about something profound in their life. And that's where you shed some light. Amen. That's where you share your faith. Especially nowadays when people are suffering through so much. Yeah. And going through so much stuff and people are stressed out. I mean, it's very easy to get people there, but, you know, get right to the nitty gritty. Especially when it's we've been commissioned to do that. There's no escaping the fact that as Christians, that's what we're called to do. Amen. And you can't hide from that. Okay? You can't hide from that. Because every way you turn, there you are. You got to do that. You got to do that. So how biblical are your relationships? Because, I mean, let me tell you something. A, a big part of your relationship is realizing and understanding that a lot of the people that you deal with, guess what? They're unbelievers. Most people that you deal with will be unbelievers. Some, some people true. may be married to unbelievers. Let me tell you something. If you're raising children, you're raising unbelievers. That is so true, man. And that's a perspective that's important to understand because we look at our kids. Hey, that's our kids. No, you got a bunch of little unbelievers walking around the house. Until they that's get right. to that age where they're accountable to God, you've got to be biblical in their life. You've got to be that example of what God is in their life. You've got to be the one that they see reading their Bible, praying, doing the things of God, living that obedient life the way God called us, not going back to fishing. You know, you need to be a fisher of men and your kid needs your kids need to see this. They are unbelievers. We're all born into sin. I think John MacArthur is the one who said um, your first like. I, I'm paraphrasing, but your first job is not to be a parent. You're an evangelist. Absolutely. To your child. And having from, a child from, now. From the, from the moment right, go. Right. Uh. And having a child now, I see that, man. I see the little loony. You know, she's doing her own thing, and she'll do things that she knows is wrong. And it's like, I didn't, we didn't teach her that, but she's doing it. And I'm like, man, and it reminds me every single, every single time when she gets to that age where she's understanding even more and more and more, I have to, I have to, it's a priority to point her to Christ. It, it is because I mean, it's a battle out there because they're only under your roof for a little while. Yeah. Don't waste that time. It's like what we talk about conversations. You're going to meet people for the first time, spend a few mi minutes getting to know who they are, but get to that meet. Yeah, because you may not have another opportunity to speak to that person. Very true. You've got your kids until they're teenagers. I mean, they don't even have to drive before they're doing their own thing and out of your life. And you and your wife are stepping out on your own. You don't have long. You have maybe up team years or something, you know, and once you're in their teenagers, the world is pulling at them and saying, be like us. Yeah. So you better have them prepared by the time they get there. And that means that you have to be biblical in those relationships. And treat them like unbelievers that they are and feed them the word of God right. so that they can go out there armed, armed with the Lord Jesus Christ, the knowledge of, of, of salvation, understanding the spirit that is in them if they give their heart to Christ. And unfortunately, you raise some kids and they become unbelievers and you struggle with that, with that even as adults. But at least you can stand before God. For the time that they were, you were accountable to God for raising them, you raised them 
with the word of God. You raised them with the gospel and you showed them the truth. What I, they do, they're accountable to God for that. It's, it's a tough haul, but you've got to do it. And I want to encourage you specifically for what you're talking about here, because you may not see it and you may not know it. Um, for those who don't know, I'm actually married to Alex's daughter, uh, one of his daughters. Um, My youngest. Her, his youngest. And, you know, in the time of my life where I wasn't seeking after Christ and I was seeking after other things, you know, I saw that in, in Kristen, my wife, where she always brought it back to, okay, well, what does God think about this? Like biblical, like I would come up with questions when I wasn't, you know, really invested in God, in God or his word or anything like that. Like, like questions you'd be like, wait, what the heck? What are you asking? Even my wife was just like, wait, what, what? You're, you're, you're bugging. But, um, she always gave me a biblical answer to, um, you know, some of these troubles that I had. And it wasn't until I opened the word for myself that I realized, wow, this is, this is it right here. So yeah, I want to encourage you and, and commend you for that really, because oh, I see that in, in my own, uh, he better be relentlessly <laughs> biblical in my own relationship. That's so. the way I raised him. Yeah. I take no credit for that. I, I, I know that I have to stand before God and be accountable for my kids. So, you know, I, I may have not done that perfectly and I'm still imperfect in some ways, but I know I can hold my uh, head up high and say, Lord, I did my best to let them know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And to love you the way I love you. And as imperfect as it is, you know what? That's a lot of ammunition to go into the world with. That's teaching the opposite, to hate God, you know? It, it's amazing, but it's a, it's a big responsibility, and it's a lifelong responsibility. But when they're young, man, you've got some unsaved kids there, and you need to school them up in what's right. And if you're married to someone who's not saved, that's a challenge in itself, too. Yeah. That's, that's a task that requires the Bible as well. It all requires the Bible. It requires you being in your word and setting an example for your for your partner there that that your spouse that they need to love God the way that you love them. So let's go to First Corinthians thirteen four seven because I want to talk about love because love is something that you know like we were saying before like I love pizza I love French fries it's not the same <laughs> thing okay the the Bible as an example I mean you know you want to be biblical in a relationship then use a standard of love that the Bible says is love not your own. You know, if I remember Kurt Blantman told me once that he sat, had, I think I may have shared this with the podcast listeners once before, but he had a brother that's an atheist. And when he converted to Jesus Christ, uh, his brother didn't want to hear it and didn't want to have nothing to do with it. And Kurt put him on the spot and said, if you love me, you'd want to know who this Jesus is. Wow. And if you don't love me, I have to question your love for me. If you don't care about this Jesus that I love. And that's hard truth, but it's true. Because if you love me, then demonstrate that. Show some interest in the person I've devoted my faith to and who I now love. At least listen to me. And I get where he was going with that. Because as a Christian, he was measuring his brother's love on a biblical standard. So let's read it a little bit and let's compare our love to what the Bible says love is. 1 Corinthians 13, um, verses 4 through 7, it says, Love is patient. We've all heard this at weddings, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not puffed up. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek his own. 
It is not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. When you tell somebody you love them, is it a biblical love? When you say you're patient, are you? Knowing that the, 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 the people that, 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 that you know, are you being patient with them? Do you love the people with that patience that the Bible says that we should have? When they don't have the knowledge of the truth that you do, are you patient with them? And when they're unkind to you, are you kind to them? Mm. Honestly, appraise these things in your heart, people. And when someone you, you believe is, is getting something that, that they don't deserve and maybe it's something that you felt you deserve, are you jealous of that person? When they get that new house, that new car, are you happy for them? Or are you saying, man, are you envying what they have? Are mm. you jealous of what they have? And we talked about this a little bit before. People love to hear about themselves and, and they, they love people who let them talk about themselves. So when you're around people, do you brag and make yourself the center of attention? Even worse, do you make yourself feel good at someone else's expense? I mean, you just have to turn on the TV and see comedy nowadays and that's all it is right there. It's making yourself feel good at someone else's expense with some joke or some flippant yeah. remark. That seems to be the casual thing to do. Love, according to the Bible here, is that you do not brag and you do not make yourself feel good at someone else's expense. Are you always puffed up because of everything that you've accomplished instead of humbling yourself to those you love? When's the last time you told somebody, I could not have done this without you? Mm. Instead of puffing yourself up, how about doing that? Is your behavior unbecoming of a Christian? Do you compromise your testimony as a follower of Christ? Do you really? This is the checkup from the neck up that I was talking about. There's a lot of Christians I've seen. I've done it from time to time too, people. I'm admitting it to you right here. Every now and then I don't act like a Christian. But you've got to understand that the standard for love is to not act unbecomingly. And we must endeavor to do that. Right. That means that we conduct ourselves like the Bible says we should conduct ourselves. Not compromising our testimony. Do you always prioritize others and, or seek to focus on yourself? Are you slow to anger? Or are you easily provoked? Mm. Whether people intentionally or unintentionally provoke you, because people don't always try to get you mad. Some That's people is just, you don't know what people are going through. Right, right, right. They could be saying something that, you know, sets you off, but you don't know what day that they're having, who they're losing in their life. So true. What's man. going on. Does that provoke you to anger? Because the Bible, love, according to Corinthians here, it's, you're supposed to be slow to anger. Are you slow to anger? And when people do things to you, do you hold on to those things? Do you hold on to those wrongs? Do you hold on to all those things that people do to you? I've struggled with that. I know I've struggled with that. 
in one particular situation I'm thinking of that it's taken me a few years to sort it out because I've been stubborn because I wanted to hold on to that. It's like that country song. I don't know who sings it, but there's a country you singer that says, hold no. On. no, 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 this is Not a country. No, she's a country Less singer. Blues. She says, I want to be mad a little bit longer. Uh, uh, I guess the guy comes <laughs> to her, wants to make up. She says, I want to be mad just a little bit longer. Uh, no, I never heard that one. <laughs> yeah, we can't be that way. We can't be that way. We can't hold on to the wrongs that people do because guess what? God doesn't. Yeah. Everything wrong that you've done, when I asked you before, look at your life. How obedient have you been to him? Every time that you haven't mm. been obedient, is he, holding it, is he holding that against you? Or is he putting it behind you? Putting it behind him, I should say, and never to look at it again. That's grace. And that's the same kind of grace that we should be expressing. Do you take pleasure and rejoice in unrighteous things in the world when things that are not right, do you rejoice in those things? Or do you lament over the humanity's sin? Like Christ, mm. when he approached the tomb of Lazarus and saw, saw everyone crying and he wept. He knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus. He was not crying over Lazarus. Lazarus was going to bounce out of there in a minute. But when he saw the condition of man and he saw the hurt, that people go through. Did he feel that? Did he, did he did he empathize with that? Do you? Do you? Or do the things that the world does that are, you know, funny and and coarse, do you rejoice in those things? No, you shouldn't. Are you committed to bearing your share of the burden? believing and hoping in all things promised by God, enduring all things until Christ is revealed in us? Are you? Are you committed to bearing those burdens? You know, and I bring 1 Corinthians out there because we read through this and we kind of skim through it real quick, but fact of the matter is if, if you want to look at it biblically and compare the standard, like I said before, you can ask people what love is and you get 20 different right, answers. Right. Here's the answer of what love is supposed to be. This is what we're supposed to hold ourselves up to be the standard. And I, we're, we're all failing in one or two of these at least. At least. Very true, if not all of them. <laughs> But, I mean, this this is how we are relentlessly biblical in our relationships. Right, Are right. we loving? Are we enduring the mistakes that people make? Everything that 1 Corinthians says here, are, 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 we, are we doing those things? I know they're sweet words, but are we doing them? Okay? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And we talked about this before, how our God transforms us and raises us like a loving father. We're his children. And as we said before, if you have children, you got to set a good example. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you something, fathers. Any of you that are fathers out there, will your sons treat their wives the way that you treat their mother? Are you okay with that? Is the standard that you've had in your life, have you been biblical with your wife that your children can imitate you as a father? Are you okay with the way that you treat your wife? What if they treat their wives the way that you treat their mother? Are you okay with that? Mm. Questions that you have to ask yourself. Are you a biblical example of a man? Are you setting a biblical example for him to follow? Are you presenting a man to your children of your own invention or one that resembles Jesus, one that's conforming mm. 
to the image of Christ or being an imitator of God. Is your idea of a husband your own or is it a biblical husband? I like that, yeah. You got to explore what the Bible says about what a biblical husband in it, husband is, and you can't do that if you're not in it. You've got to read your Bible, and you've got to you've got to do that. You've got to commit yourself to it. So, do you love your wife sacrificially, fully, unconditionally, just as the Savior loves you? Questions that we need to ask ourselves. And mothers, I'm going to ask you the same thing too. Are you setting an example for your daughters on how to treat their husbands based on the way that you treat their father? What biblical examples of men are you presenting for your daughters to imitate? And women, what mother, example of a mother are you presenting for your daughters to imitate? Remember, we talked about that these are kids that you're raising that are not saved. What does the Bible say about being a Christian wife? Find out what it says. Don't come up with your own idea of what kind of wife you want to be. Be a biblical wife. Right, right. Do you love your husband unconditionally or only when he resembles Jesus? The tough one. That's a tough <laughs> one, man. Do you love him all the time or only when he's, uh, you know, channeling the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, I've always said behind every good man there's a good woman. You've got to be unforgiving with men. We can be, we can be a chore. I'll admit that as a man. And behind every good man is a woman. But you've got to endeavor to be a good woman. Are you seeking to fulfill your needs through your children instead of your husband? How many mothers are making that mistake? Yeah. I'm going to fulfill my dreams, my needs in life. I'm going to satisfy the things in my life through my children, but not your husband. You know, one of the things that I realized early in life and I don't know how I came to this conclusion. My wife, Mary, and I, we talked about this early on. It took her a little bit to come around to this. But I remember even as a 19-year-old when we first met her telling her, you know what, when I have kids, I'm not going to focus on kids. I'm going to focus on you and I when we get married. Because kids go. They leave. And if we haven't built something that's worth hanging on to here, what do we got? How many people have invested into their kids but not invested into their spouses and when the kids are gone, they got nothing? Yeah, that's that's a hard truth. And I say about moms, but, you know, men can have other priorities and, you know, focus on other things and not focus on their wives. Kids go. That's what they're supposed to do. I know when I had kids, I couldn't wait for them to go. <laughs> you raise them to get rid of them. That was my motto. Don't get me wrong, though. They grew fast, and I, I appreciated, and I absorbed all those years, and I, I enjoyed them. But, you know, it's once and done, dude. And then it's just me and my wife. And what's left right. has got to be something that we've cultivated over the years. You can't cultivate it 25 years later after the kids are gone. You're totally different people. you got to invest in that now. When your husband, he makes mistakes, are you Christ-like towards him? When he does make those mistakes, Proverbs 31 talks about what a woman is. We were just talking about that yesterday, uh, my wife and I, and how that, uh, that proverb is so interesting and it really shows um, what a heart of a woman looks like when she has a love for the Lord and in every aspect of her life. It's so beautiful. I remember, my wife says this all the time, the man is the head of the household, but the woman's the neck. 
you're a Proverbs 31 woman, you're going to have a heck of a man in front of him because mm. you will shape him. I'm talking as a man who raised daughters. I got one son and two daughters. And I know that um, when I sent them out into the world, I said, you've got to make sure that you get men that are going to be godly because that's what you are. And if they're going to be a good man, you've got to be a good woman right behind them. Yeah, you got to be a, a, a Proverbs 31 woman. And, you know, forgive those men when they make no mistakes. We, we're dumb sometimes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Without a doubt. But we do, we do love our wives. And children, you're not getting away either. Okay? You know, when you're part of a household, Christian, I don't know if you've ever had this perspective, but, you know, your household, your home, your father, your, 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 your wife, your children, that's almost like a little microcosm of a church. One of the one of the standards for leadership in a church, if someone wants to be a pastor, first thing I look at is their household. Is their household in order? That's right. Because that's their first church is their home. So when you're part of a household, you know, you're a microcosm of a church. Is it biblical? That's the question. Is your home church biblical? Is your home, your first church biblical? Or do you prefer to cast aside the standards established by your God-given parents for life, and be drawn into the chaos of what society says we should be, which is pretty much abandonment to God. Mm. You, know, well, you know, when, you, when you're at home and you got parents that are raising you, are you living according to their standards, the biblical standards that they're putting forth to you, or are you looking at the world and saying, I want to do what the world wants to do? Kids, you got to honor your parents. Honor your parents. No church is perfect. That includes the family you got at home either. Okay? But the family you have, the parents you have, are the ones God gave you. And as imperfect as they are, that's where you need to grow. Honor your parents. An example in my life is my father abandoned us when we were 17 years old, and I spent a lot of years reaching out to him. And in many ways, he didn't care. Later on in life, he came to know the Lord, and, and, and I'm trusting that I'm going to see him. But our relationship really wasn't there. But regardless of whether he didn't honor his relationship with me, I still sought him out, not because I wanted to. Sometimes I didn't want to know anything about him. Mm. But our Father in heaven says we're supposed to honor our parents, so I honored him anyway. I honored the man I remembered that he was before he turned on us. And that's what I chose to do. That was my way of honoring my parents. Even if they don't deserve it, children, you got to honor your parents. Because God is watching and that's what he wants you to do. If your parents are not a good example of Christ-like biblical living, then ask them to commit to that and help them to do that. There's families out there where the kid is saved and the parents are not. We had Ava yeah. Rosario yep. on our other podcast, Evidence of Truth, where she became a Christian and the rest of her family are not saved. Yeah. Guess what? She can't abandon her parents and say, I'm not going to witness to them and share the gospel. She's got to help them to commit to it. And that's going to be tough, but she's got to do it. You know, parents have to stand before God and, and account for their children. God has gave them to raise biblically. So you too must also account for how you've honored them, perfect or not. So children don't get away from being not biblical. You've got to be biblical when it comes to your parents as well, too. And parents, are you teaching kids the Bible? How can you expect them to live biblically if you're not exacting that they live biblically and, and setting that example? 
You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures God breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Parents, you got the, 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 the manual for how to That's handle right. your kids right there. That's right. All right. And as we wind this down, I, I just want to just close it out with uh, relationships matter. Okay. And no matter what issues you're having in your relationships, you can al- it always comes down to a biblical problem when you have a relationship problem. And most of that is because there's not enough Jesus in the formula. Mm. If you've got a problem in your relationship, it is going to be a biblical problem. I can guarantee you. And it's probably because there's not enough Jesus. There's not enough Bible. There's not enough God in the picture. People struggle and they keep on bumping to the same things, making the same mistakes, Christian. And it boggles my mind to watch even family members of mine go through life making the same mistake again and again and again and expecting a different result. The problem comes down to a biblical one. What is it that that God wants you to do that you're not doing right? Because what God wants you to do is perfect. Somehow you're making it imperfect. Amen. Wow. So if you've got a problem in relationships... Bring it down to a biblical level. Maybe you're not loving like First Corinthians. Maybe that love needs to be there, not a superficial love, but a real meaningful one, and that takes time and effort to build. And if you're praying and hoping for a relationship that will be meaningful and blessed by God, then you know what? Set that standard for yourself and set it for others as well, especially if you're raising kids. Yeah. If you want someone to have a relationship that's meaningful, then you got to hold them out to that standard. If you're in a bad relationship... Fix it. And if there's no way out, look for a way to fix it. Try to reach that person. Of course, there are some exceptions. I mean, my wife was in an abusive relationship in her first marriage. You know, when you're in a situation like that, you get out because someone's going to harm you or kill you. Okay? But if you're in a relationship that's worth saving, and most of them are, there's a way out. And there's a biblical way out. As far as setting a high standards in relationships, look, young people, it's real easy. You know, there's a lot of passion. There's a lot of lot that goes on when you meet someone that you're attracted to. You know, don't put it all out there. You know, make people work for it. Make people work for your love. Yeah. Okay. These, I'm just going to say it and say it hopefully that if there's any kids listening, get them out the room. But, you know, people jump jump right into intimacy and it's like expected right away now that's something you hold back and that's something that needs to be earned and honored and that's honored at the altar when you take on a spouse when you take on a husband when you take on a wife okay if that's important to you then you know what you do it right you do it the way the bible tells you to do all this intimacy before people even marry that's a big source of a lot of these problems it complicates things yeah it complicates things. And then when people don't get the desired result, they wonder why. Well, you gave too much when that wasn't earned or it wasn't appropriate to do it. Yeah. When you stand before God and you both commit to something, guess what? Both parties have skin in the game. Yeah. You already gave the end result, and the end result was that intimacy to get to know that person even, even when, more so. But what's left, you don't really care to. When two people come before God and they commit before the, uh, the, the God of the universe, you know what? That's a whole different deal. You've got to meet his standard. That's right. If you're just going about what you want to do in the flesh, you're going to be disappointed. So follow your God-given convictions. Roman ones talks about that. Everybody compromises, but no one's without excuse. Don't compromise 
by giving into the desires of the flesh. Don't follow the latest trends. Time-tested standards are always God's standards, and that's where you go to the Bible. And it's never really too late to ask for any help when it comes to these things. God is there to help you. It just requires a commitment to biblical living from both parties, as far as relationship goes. One of the most common pitfalls, and when I'm, I want to talk about making disciples of those we love, and that's a big important part of, of relationships, and one of the most common pitfalls that Christians encounter is a failure to be consistent with their approach of discipling their loved ones. And you got to disciple them in the Bible. While it is essential to share the gospel message with others, it's equally important to ensure that they understand and follow those principles and teachings of the Bible. You know what that involves, Christian? It involves regular study, regular reflection, being in the scriptures, having open and honest communication in your relationships. Yeah. With those that you love and even with people that you don't love. We talked about casual conversations. Make them open and honest. Be actively disciplining those that you care about. You can help people grow in their faith and deepen their understanding of the, their relationship with God. We can serve as an example to others and demonstrate that transformation that's happening in our life. We can demonstrate that in other people's lives, too. If we live according to those values and then teach those values to others. That's so true. So living biblically, and I hope this helped, this is standards that we set for ourselves, but it's standards that, you know, if we're going to believe the Bible, we got to live it. And we're going to live it, we got to be in it. And if we're going to be in it, it's going to transform us. And if it's going to transform us, it's going to pour into other people's lives. And when it pours in other people's lives, it's going to change the circumstances and the people around you. It's very, very true. Instead of complaining about what's wrong in the world, make a difference. Live biblically. And that's becoming harder and harder. I get that, folks. I hear you. We're getting pushback from a world we are. that is angry and doesn't care about God. Do it anyway. Those small little rewards when you meet that person that you can have an impact in their life by sharing the gospel, even if it's your own kid yep. or a friend or someone you've been trying to reach for years, do it. And you don't know how long that'll stick with them either. You always plant seeds with people. Yeah. Always plant seeds for people. That's everything I wanted to share, Christian, and I hope that's helpful no, that to was our great. listeners because I thought it was a good time to just pause and say, okay, how biblical are we being in our lives? Yeah, you need, we need that. We need that. So I hope that that was a, a, a help to all of you. It definitely was um, a help to me to kind of reiterate that stuff in my heart because, I mean, I'm talking to myself. When I point my finger at you people, I'm pointing five, four more back at me. So I'm just not pointing at you and not speaking to myself. I'm speaking to myself, too. It's always good to pause and check ourselves and make sure that we're doing the right thing according to what the Bible says, not what the world says. So I hope that was a blessing to you guys. We thank you for sharing uh, yes, your time you. with us and putting us in your ears. And Christian, anything else before we go? No, that was great. Thank you for, for bringing that. That was, that was awesome. That definitely spoke to my heart as well. So I appreciate that, brother. And like I said, folks, follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. Find us there. You'll go to our uh, audio page at relentlesslybiblical.org. And go ahead and uh, stay in contact with us. Send us a message. And, and most of all, share. Share what we got here, people. It's just practical 
useful conversation about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. It's transformative power that we've got here, people. Use it. And we'll see you next time. Love you guys. Love you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that we have been an encouragement to you. This episode has been made possible by listeners like you. Please consider partnering with us through your prayers and gifts. Your support enables us to provide sound biblical teaching that helps others open up their understanding of the scriptures across the globe. To support this show financially, click the Donate Now link in the episode notes, or you can visit our podcast website at relentlesslybiblical.org and use a donate link in the podcast player or the Support This Show button that's on our homepage. Thank you for your gracious support. Join us again for our next episode, and remember to always be in God's Word and stay relentlessly biblical. This episode has been a production of Core Truth Media, owned and operated by Core Truth Ministries. This podcast was recorded and engineered at Prevail Studios. 